Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright. You don't win podcasts with nice, Andy. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 24, which begins with Phillips and Erskine still arguing and ends with Rogers throwing himself on a grenade. Joining us on the show today and uh, the rest of the week, we have Father David Mowry. Hello, Father. Guys, do you know how much groveling I had to do in front of Senator What's-His-Name in order to get onto this podcast? You know, so so throw, throw me a bone here, all right? Let, let's talk about the, the most famous scene from Captain America's origin story in this movie. In this movie is right, because it's definitely a movie thing, not something that's uh, discussed much in the comics. We don't um, get the grenade on the comic. He's just instantly Captain America. Yeah. It's like he gets the super soldier serum and he's just perfect. He's already perfect. The, the, well, and I, I, I did bring up it earlier in the week, there is that four issue uh, series that came out in 91, uh, The Adventures of Captain America, that actually goes through more of the boot camp stuff. That's where we uh, were introduced to uh, Gilmore Hodge. And so the, I think... If you're going to look at a storyline where there's going to be a little more to it, then you're going to find it there. Um, but largely like this, this kind of self-sacrificial element of him, you're not seeing because he's just naturally already like the perfect yeah. uh, hero sure. for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a shame. It's such a shame because this is such a perfect moment. And, and especially because we've already seen him bullied and we've already seen him then recover from being bullied and be truly ingenious with the yeah. flagpole. And now we get to see his humanity and his yeah. willingness to sacrifice. Uh, and I, I think it's just it's it makes the end of this montage brilliant. Before we get to that, let's finish on our conversation between Erskine and, and Colonel Phillips. Some, I just, I love the the confidence, the sheer confidence that Erskine has that uh, that Steve is the clear choice. But then you get Colonel Phillips and his reaction, which is just, I mean, he's just so good. And this is why Tommy Lee Jones is perfect as this character. His whole thing about uh, when you bring a brought a ninety pound asthmatic onto on my army base. I let it slide. So, okay, well, first of all, that's an interesting point, because now we know this mm -hmm. is his army base, and yeah. he is letting this division, the SSR, come in to mm -hmm. do these tests here. So presumably, there is basic training going on. They are just kind of doing these tests. So I thought that was great to know. But also this line, I thought he'd be useful to you <laughs> like a gerbil. <laughs> I never thought you'd pick him. That line and then <laughs> the reaction is just such a small look. But the one that Stanley Tucci throws him, uh, it just it is just perfect. It is such a great little look. What do you think? What do you two think of this moment? The the interaction between Erskine and Phillips, it, it's really good here because you expect the military guy to be a complete blowhard and just to be overruling the pencil neck scientist. But there's more of a peer to peer relationship here where there's been some give and take where Phillips has wanted this. He wanted to set this project up. Otherwise, he wouldn't have stuck his neck out with Senator. What's his name? But he Good also had what's his name? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And he but he also has some expectations on his own. Like, look, I you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I want a great army. I want a super soldier and I want to pick the best candidate on my terms, even though it's Erskine's formula that he's using. So what I even before, like we, we mentioned uh, Erskine talking about him being the clear choice. 
I think Erskine picked Rogers as soon as he saw him. I mean, from the moment they talked in the examination room at the expo, Erskine had already had him in mind, which is one of the reasons why I think Rogers is still here, because he has Erskine advocating for him every time, you know, there may be talk about, okay, let's just the 90 pound asthmatic. Let's just get him off this. Why are we torturing this poor kid? Let's send him back to Queens. So he can go collect scrap metal with with Timmy. Way to go, Timmy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I I think that that is very true. And I think a lot of this is probably let's put him in a situation where we can observe him with other soldiers, other Mm. other privates, Mm -hmm. other people and see how he reacts. Is he going to cower? Is he going to stand up to them quietly? Is he going to kind of exhibit a side of himself that might be a little more of the 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 you know, I'm defending myself by being a jerk to you sort of way like how is he going to come across but i think to erskine's um great joy he exhibits himself exactly as he thought he would as kind of that quiet stoic and i'm gonna i'm toughing it out and i can barely do a push-up i can barely do a jumping jack but i'm gonna keep trying makes me cry makes Makes me cry cry. (laughs) it's the best part you put a needle in his arm it'll go right through it tommy lee jones again perfect this is just perfect yeah the way that mm-hmm. he's playing this and and when when Tommy Lee Jones delivers those lines when Philip says those it, it, it's a masterclass in acting because there's no personal animus that Phillips has against Rogers the, he is not out to get Rogers he's not out to undermine him at this point he's just looking at it in terms of who's the best candidate we need to get this done because we have a war to win and you get a sense that there is some authentic concern that Phillips has for the kid like you, you stick a needle in his arm it's going to go right through him like this kid doesn't belong here get him out of here because this, this isn't what's best for him and that that endears me to Philip's character, even though he's he's going to be the military uh, tough guy throughout the rest of the movie and going to give Captain America a hard time. This scene, you know, even though he's against Rogers being the candidate, still I get a better sense for the investment Phillips has made into the program here. You know, it's an interesting program that they have set up here because as Erskine says I am looking for qualities beyond the physical like he's looking for something yeah. more with this mm-hmm. particular character but by putting him into a situation where almost all they do are physical tests yeah it is kind of an interesting way to kind of approach it I mean obviously it's a soldier program they're looking for a super soldier so there is a big physical element but and, and I know we've talked a lot about this point over these last mm-hmm. few minutes, but it is interesting that we get so little other than the flagpole. And you can really see as you kind of have this conversation here, why they decided to add that flagpole scene, because mm-hmm. they're like, you know, all we're showing are physical bits here. Shouldn't mm-hmm. we have something else that shows us a little more with Steve? And so well, it's, it's interesting the way they approach that. And isn't it beautiful that this last exhibit of who he is, is both not physical but also supremely physical, right? That his sacrifice yeah. is a sacrifice of body. It's like the ultimate physical sacrifice to jump on a grenade. And I think that is a really powerful uh, expression of who Steve is, that he, he is a 90-pound asthmatic. And that grenade's going to turn him to powder. Like, <laughs> oh it's gosh, just yeah. it's still, everybody's still going to get injured because he's saving nobody. He's confetti. But it, it, but it is an expression. And, and I, you know, it's, it, 
it's almost a shame that the minute cuts off when it does uh, and that we have to leave the punchline for the next minute. But it is uh, it is a, a perfect expression and a cap on all of the examples of who Steve is, uh, the victim, the um, the genius and now the sacrifice. You see what I did there? Hmm, I see what you did there. It's a cap on everything that Steve is. Yeah, it was very, very good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You know what would happen if Gilmore Hodge threw himself onto that grenade? You would end up with bits of Lex Shrapnel in everybody. Oh, my God. Oh my oh, God. I was already perfect. ready to shame you for that. I had to top Pete. No, no. But you did You did it. I was, I was going to come in hard on you for that. But you, you won this round. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing. Well, and it is, it is interesting that Phillips uses a physical metaphor for what they're looking for. You win wars with guts. But guts is it's a metaphoric way of talking about something. It's not just your intestines. There is a a strength of character. There's a willingness to do the hard thing that wins the war. And so the grenade test is the way they're going to test for the guts of these men, that it's not about just niceness. It's being willing to be uh, the leader to respond to danger in a way that fits with the danger they're going to have these men go through by undergoing the super soldier serum. What is what is his goal, though, like uh, showing that a, a soldier has guts? What is he hoping that they would do with a live grenade, like in the middle of their thing? Like, is are they going to throw it in a particular direction? I, from what I can tell, there are soldiers in every direction. <laughs> and I'm like, is, is there is, is the idea to just throw it? Or are they hoping that, you know, whoever it was going to be would like would do this sacrificial uh, thing here. Yeah, I think that was his plan. I think he wanted Hodge mm-hmm. to be the guy to jump on to, to it. I jump think that's on. what he was. Because okay. yeah. as a leader, you might say, I'm going to grab this grenade and I'm going to huck it as far as I can. Yeah, yeah. it's just, you know, what are they going to do with it? But yeah. Yeah, I because he already knew that it was like a training grenade, right? I mean, he wasn't a live grenade. And so he, he knew what was happening yeah. and he wanted to demonstrate to Erskine and, that, you know, it was his guy after all that was going to be the guy and player thou playedst it would be great though if it was hodge and he like grabbed it and like chucked it into the truck (laughs) yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it's like (laughs) that's completely useless it is these are um m16 or no m56 training grenades and actually like if you're watching the film and actually you're paying attention to the box it says that right on the side it's like no secret that that these are actually training grenades and i think that's very Mm -hmm. funny that that i mean because as an audience member it it, like i don't think i was paying attention to to that at all and i was just like what is he doing Mm -hmm. like this is crazy but yeah it's it's a it's it's a great little moment the way they play it Totally. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones makes that grenade look so cool. He pulls the pin. He releases the the spring uh, primer. Uh, it just it just so <laughs> so cool as he does that. This is one of those things, though. And I I I don't know if this is one of those cases, but you know you have these fantastic aging actors, these iconic actors, and uh, you talk. You hear them interviewed about their role in film, and they come back not truly knowing what movie they were in, what the movie's (laughs) about, what they're doing. And it's a little bit heartbreaking. And I look at Tommy Lee Jones, and I think you are doing amazing work for me as a 
fan of superheroes. And I can't stop and think about the fact that you don't really care about being in this movie right now. <laughs> like, this is not a thing that you're really caring about. And if at the time you're recording this movie, you even know what it's titled, I'll, I'll count mm. that as a massive win. Um, well, that that's the Alec Guinness paradox. Yeah. Right. Some of the, the best parts of the movie are the actors who hate it the most. Hate it the most right. <laughs> yeah. It's a paycheck. Right. I don't know if I, I I don't think he's probably as like um, unaware as Gwyneth Paltrow uh, seems to have painted. Gwyneth herself. Paltrow, who literally didn't remember she was in some of well, the movies. to be fair. Like, they have these people come back for a scene. Like, when they're doing yeah. these cameo bits, it can be very hard to figure mm-hmm. out, what was that cameo yeah. bit for? Like, was that for this one or that one? Like, I can see confusion when it comes to these little tiny pieces where they're asking you to do something. Sure. And for actors that have massive, massive catalogs. Like, I, I get that they all start mm-hmm. to blend together yeah. in some respects. Yeah. So, But the way that Tommy Lee Jones shouts grenade is... That is just the platonic form of a military officer shouting grenade. Yeah. yeah. That, that needs to be taught at West Point. <laughs> this, this is how you announce the presence of a grenade because the, the cadence is perfect. The, the growl in the voice is so good. And just the bark behind his voice is just the sharp crack of uh, an exclamation just cuts through everything. Oh, well, man. And, and to, I mean, to that point, like there are troops. If you watch the people in the background, like other troops, like far in the back also are like yeah. dunk, ducking down and hiding and and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- making sure that they're all safe. So it's it's great yeah. that obviously his voice carries in order to convey, you know, be aware and pay attention because something dangerous could be happening here. So, yeah, it works really well. Uh, now, but before we we move on, I do I do need to note the ladies count is now at three. Yes. Now <laughs> we're we're playing a little fast and loose because here Peggy calls the men girls instead of ladies. But I believe in the spirit of the ladies count that that still applies. So we are still keeping this particular kind of uh, reverse psychology motivation <laughs> on these nineteen forties manly men. It's so good. I we'll we'll have to keep this up because I'm going to have to see how many how many more times we go through this. Truly. Um, all right. Well, I think it's time for some Christ in the Cape. So, Father David Mowry, take the floor. So, for this this minute, it's clear that there's a theme of self-sacrifice that is presented here with the grenade being thrown into the midst of the troops and how everyone responds to that presence of danger. Because there's a very strong self-preservation instinct that we have as human beings. It's very helpful, evolutionarily speaking, <laughs> that the, those who ran away from danger and didn't get eaten are the ones who lived. And so that that's very strongly in us. And I think it's important to recognize that we can fantasize about being the people who are going to run headlong into danger to save people from the burning building or to stand up to the violent threat or or whatever it might be. But flight or fight is a very strong response, and we're more attuned to flight than we are to fighting. And then to to have something where you can't fight, it's just a grenade, I can't do anything about it. I don't think it's, you know, it's fair for anyone to blame Hodge for running away from the grenade because it's a grenade. You, you, you can't bully a grenade. It's just going to blow up in your face. <laughs> that said um, that. So why is it that this happens at all? 
then. So many recipients of the Medal of Honor in the United States are posthumous recipients who have thrown themselves on grenades. There's a famous case of a soldier in the Pacific Theater who put two live grenades underneath his helmet and took that blast in order to save the members of his platoon. And so many Medals of Honor have been given to soldiers who have done precisely this. Uh, I would say that first, this idea of self-sacrifice, first, it requires a strong habit of virtue. That is, you have habituated yourself to responding to danger in this create courageous and self-sacrificing way, because you need a equally strong habit to overcome that habit of self-preservation. That when you see the person in danger, you have a moral habit, a, a way of responding to that, that kind of overrides your kind of initial nature. It's what we mean when we talk about people doing things as second nature. It means they've built up this habit to do things without thinking, because that's what this act really requires. Uh, and what this represents is a kind of altruistic suicide, because Steve Rogers thinks it's a real grenade, and he is jumping on top of it to save other people. Now, it's also interesting to note, Peggy also moves towards the grenade yeah, right. when it is thrown into the midst of the soldiers. So it's really interesting that both Peggy and Steve have the same kind of moral character. Both are so habituated in that virtue of courage and that virtue of self-sacrifice. They move toward that. Um, there was a 1978 study of this kind of altruistic suicide, and it found that it requires kind of membership in a group with a high cohesion that you have to have this sense of really belonging to the people around you. And that's interesting because for Steve, he's in this situation where there is not a lot of high group cohesion because they're in competition with one another. Uh, but that's that speaks to Steve's moral character. He's able to see his membership with these men, even though he has not been made to feel like he's part of them. And in, in the military, this kind of altruistic suicide, it's actually more uh, prevalent among enlisted men than it is among officers, uh, whether non-commissioned or otherwise. So it's the grunts who are more likely to do this, mm. that, that there is this sense of I'm going to do what I can and my value is in what I can do for these other people to lay down my life for my brothers in arms. And then here comes that Christ uh example that the there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends and that kind of altruistic suicide of christ that we can frame it in that way is really interesting because jesus makes it very clear throughout the gospels he knows what's coming he says multiple times to his disciples the son of man will be killed and on the third day be raised but he knows that death is coming for him here, what's interesting with Jesus, this uh, altruistic suicide is not a snap decision, but it's something that's steadily contemplated and then prayerfully accepted. And in the Christian understanding of Jesus, he is fully God and fully man. He has the power to avoid death altogether. Steve Rogers is, is just a 90-pound asthmatic, but Jesus is the Son of God. And yet Jesus chooses again that weakness. He chooses to embrace what's coming in the cross in order to achieve what comes about from that self-sacrifice, that it is not death, but life that comes forth from the cross. And here is ultimately what's at the root of whether it's the soldier jumping on the grenade or it's that perfect expression of love in Christ's death and resurrection. It's achieving that higher good, that there is something beyond my individual life that I am able to further by giving myself in this way. 
And that is something valued in the Christian church through the example of the martyrs, through those who see their faith in Christ and their love for their fellow disciples as something greater than their own individual life. And this is why I love Captain America. It's why he's my favorite Avenger, because he sees himself as something bigger than just himself. That while he is going to be a super soldier and he's going to be Captain America and he is going to be a very important part of the Avengers, all that is caught up with an awareness that there is something bigger than me and there's something I'm willing to give everything I have in order for that bigger thing to happen. And it's very easy to hitch that to a jingoistic patriotism here in World War II. But part of what Captain America will have to do is realize, okay, there's something beyond just America that I'm fighting for. There, there is some bigger mission that I am a part of. We really see the way that that plays in this moment, and uh, you certainly we'll get more of that in the next minute as it kind of wraps up, but you get that sense of Steve looking at this as a situation where it's like, it's not about me, you know, I need to save these people, you know, who, you know, I mean, other than Hodge, as you said, you know, we'll just say, aren't treating me that well we'll just use that as a, as a thing, <laughs> whatever. But, yeah. you know, there, you know, the, the system looks at him as less than, I guess we'll just say, but he's still mm -hmm. willing to sacrifice himself in order to save it and preserve that. And I think that's, yeah, it's pretty big. Even Hodge. Yeah. Even yeah. Hodge. Even Hodge. Yeah. But mm -hmm. let's be honest, Hodge, would, would, if the grenade went off, he wouldn't have a, feel a thing because he's, he's so perfectly, he would have been fine. Man, did he go yeah. fast to hide behind that truck? His face. Oh, so mm -hmm. good. So good. Okay. Um, uh, just a, one last note that I forgot to mention. We do, through dialogue, get to get an introduction to Senator Brandt, uh, you know, as Senator What's-His-Name. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, Erskine says, Brandt, yes, I know. So uh, we do get that. We'll, we'll meet him. Um, but otherwise, I think, uh, I think we're good. So any last uh, thoughts from you, Pete? <laughs> I wasn't ready. No, I don't. I actually have no more thoughts. No more. That was the I'm end. Empty. That was the end of your. That thoughts. was the end. You've reached the end of our broadcast day. It's like that commercial with that guy who finishes <laughs> finishes surfing the web. Do you remember that commercial? He's like, yeah, I right. did it. I got to the end of the. Web. <laughs> That's it. All right, Father David, tell everyone where they can uh, find more about you. Uh, you can find me on my website, fatherdavidmowry.com. I've uh, put links there to all of my various podcast appearances. And if you're looking for something that is equally uh, philosophical and meditative, but it's kind of outside the superhero genre, I was on uh, Roger e Robert E.G. Black's podcast of the five minutes of arrival talking about the Amy Adams vehicle of science fiction and talking about language and philosophy and the moral and philosophical questions that are raised by that. It was a really great discussion uh, uh, about a, a movie I, I really enjoy. So you know, that would be my recommendation to, to check out. Great movie. Man, that movie's so, so good. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we'll be back with you one last minute. Uh, tomorrow we'll be discussing Minute 25. Until then, Pete, thanks as always. I'll be back tomorrow with what's-his-name. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega. And this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that. 
for this show.